we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 37 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorites, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, we will start with you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. It's uh, been a gorgeous spring day and yeah, all is good in my world, at least. Thank you very much for asking. And how about you guys? Healthy and alive here. Uh, survived another um, heavy, you know, thunderstorm, hail, strong winds. That kind of stuff, you know, but normal life as an oaky in spring. That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. And I told you in prep that I would be concerned if you didn't have that kind of weather going on right now, especially in, in the uh, state that you're in, because you're you're at Tornado Alley Central. So, I mean, that's just that's how it is this time of year. Yep. This week, I'm doing just fine, by the way, Marty. Thank you very much. Apart from uh, a little, I don't want to say sh surprised because I'm really not, but the conversation we had on the phone earlier this week, and Bruce, you and I have been touching base about uh, every 48 hours or so, and the research that we're delving into, to wrap my head around this, is it's very difficult. And you told me on the phone the other day, right before we hung up, you said, you know what, I need time to digest this. And I'm just, I'm throwing more at you as the day goes, or as the days go by. Uh, and it's, you know, without without getting too deeply into it because there's more work to be done. But unfortunately, to say that this is uh, as bad as we thought would be an incorrect assessment. It's worse than we thought. Well, I, I go through life as an eternal pessimist because um, pessimists are seldom disappointed. But yeah, some of the things that, that you've been telling me as you've delved deeper into your research, I've got to admit that it, it does... It takes some some believing, but at the same time, millions of people believe that a global virus was caused by someone eating a badly cooked bat or or a, a raw pangolin or something, didn't they? The only thing that is surprising is the absolute barefaced, brass necked audacity of uh, people in positions of power, supposedly elected officials have got for the size of the lies that they are telling now and by the looks of things through the research have been for decades. That's the only thing that's surprising, how they think they can get away with the big lies. And, you know, who was it who said, you know, 
if make a lie big enough and keep telling it, and eventually people will believe it. That and was uh, that was Goebbels. What that was Goebbels was it? Yeah. yeah. And I'm afraid the filthy Nazi mysticists was quite right in that respect. Yeah. And you know, I I wonder. You know, and, and we're going to we're going to talk about all of this, but we have to continue with more research. And by the way, I would just like to say as a disclaimer from the start of this. Now, I, I understand we haven't podcasted all week because, you know, we're in the middle of doing research and we told everyone that this is what we were going to do. But I would like to say that none of this is hidden away. As in, like, n- none of it is locked away information that you, the average person, does not have access to. All of this is open source information. It's just been ignored. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, it's, it's been shoved aside. And it's been deliberately kept out of the hands of people in regards of, well, first of all, the existence that something like this would even go on. And second, by means of financial um, hindrance, I'll put it that way, because some of these documents that we're looking at and some of these uh, pieces of literature that we're having to acquire, some of these things are are small fortune. And it's it's been extremely difficult. And we've still got pieces coming in. So this is um, this is something that I have to that I have to ask, along with what you were talking about, Marty. I want to know all of the people on the so-called alternative, right? And I use that term now very loosely. All the people on the so-called alternative medias and, and everything else. When all of this comes to fruition, and we're very close to that coming to fruition, but when all of this gets slammed down in front of everybody and there's no more denying it and playing party politics, are you bankrupt profits going to admit that you were wrong? Are you going to admit to people that you misled them and kept them on the wrong track? That's a question I have to ask to the so-called alternative media. Is that? Well, if we just taking one example uh, and um, we, you know, we've still got to talk about COVID. The first inquest to quote vaccine injury as the cause of death is in black and white and all over Twitter at the moment. I did retweet it when when the the guy's daughter posted it. So it was Charlotte Wright, um, vaccine widow, and Stephen Wright, her husband, who I believe was a doctor, brainstem infarction, acute intercerebral hemorrhage, vaccine-induced thrombosis, and thrombocytopenia stated as the cause of death. And with one in 800 recipients of, of mRNA vaccines, Uh, suffering a serious major injury or death. It's only a matter of time now until that level of truth starts to hit home. So, yeah, we are getting close to fruition with this devious master plan that has been going on, but we're not going to talk about that just yet. But as we get closer to it, more and more things are going to be revealed, more truths, more things that should get people really upset and protesting. But of course, in recent months, our right to protest has been greatly reduced because the useful idiots have been paid to cause as much damage to petrol stations, fighting in the streets, arson attacks, all those kind of things that Antifa, Extinction Rebellion, and all those other left-wing groups have done and the right-wing groups have have been mobilised and dog-whistled into responding to those attacks. 
So that has been used as an excuse by our governments to dramatically reduce our right to protest. So as things become more apparent, as we get closer to the end game of this this plan, more things will be revealed, more people will get upset, but when they try to protest, they'll be arrested. Yes, because they... Yeah, yeah, or shot. Um, And that's because the powers that be, and I mean, we'll just kind of leave that as it is, uh, they know that eventually they're not going to be able to keep the lid on this much longer. And that is the real idea behind it, is that. But Marty, speaking of the um, uh, the protesters that you were talking about, you left one out. You, you left one of them out. Do you like snooker, Marty? I, it's not much of an American thing. Oh. I mean, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a I, UK. I used to sit and watch the snooker with my grandfather, who enjoyed it, in a small uh, sitting room um, by a, a warm coal fire with a glass of Southern Comfort and snacks. And we'd watch the snooker for hours. But that was because I enjoyed being with him because you can watch snooker and have a conversation. You, you know, that that was it. But I, I haven't watched it in recent years, no. But I do understand that a certain protester interrupted a game of snooker with a bag of um, of uh, of snacks. As I understand it, not not quite. No, and I I have to say that um, I I really I didn't really pay attention to to snooker until I came to Europe and they play it here. And I have to say I enjoy it more than uh, than pool or, or billiards or whatever you call it. Uh, billiards is actually a separate game, by the way. But I actually like snooker more. Uh, but I I don't get a chance to play it that often because you have to go to special clubs where they have the the larger tables like that. But I quite enjoy it. But this is what happened at the World Snooker Championship in Sheffield just the other day from one of your favorite left wing agitation groups, Just Stop Oil. For the benefit of the listener, um, a misguided young man has leapt aboard the Green Bays, opened a pack a packet of crushed Doritos, and showered um, a very expensive snooker table with Dorito dust. By the looks of it, other forms of corn snack are also available. Well, unfortunately, they um, they had they had to call off the uh, the snooker match. They weren't uh, they weren't able to continue. They had to stop play. Obviously, as you can see, the table there is a complete mess. That's all about shutting down. Apparently, the snooker is is damaging to the climate or something, and and we have to stop um, that now because they want a plant based future. So you can have a snooker match. That the guy is obviously mentally ill. He's been prodded and poked and g'd up to go and make his protest. <laughs> It, it it beggars belief that something as innocuous as, as a game of snooker could actually uh, attract that kind of protest. But again, no one's expecting it. The art of warfare is deception. And if you can surprise your enemy, always take advantage of that. And of course, no one would be expecting a lunatic to leap onto the table. You know, in, in other sports, you've got a ring of marshals watching the crowd. If you've ever seen the British police at a a football game at the height of the the football violence, not one of the officers is watching the game. They are watching the crowd. But no one's watching the crowd at a snooker match. So, you know, batshit, loony 
fat blonde bloke can easily jump onto a table and cause an orange mess. Maybe it was anti-Trump as well because of the colour that he chose to could have been. cover the table with. I could have know. been. Yeah, it could have been. Well, there is uh, there is good news. Are you sure uh, it wasn't Trump? Are you sure it wasn't Trump? That could uh, be another thing he could be indicted well, for. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, they could indict him for that, even though it wasn't him that was there. They could indict him for that. I'm sure they could if they really wanted to. Yeah. Perhaps we should, yeah. you know, drop it's them possible. the line. It's possible. Well, there there is good news for the young lad that jumped onto the uh, the table there. Some of his requests are being fulfilled. You guys are apparently working on an initiative now to breed a special kind of sheep to help deal with this problem. British farmers are trying to breed low methane emitting sheep. You heard that right. Farmers are trying to breed sheep which emit low methane. When sheep belch, they release methane gas, which is responsible for around a quarter of global heating over a 20-year period. This powerful substance is about 80 times more powerful than carbon dioxide for trapping heat in the atmosphere, thereby causing global warming. So now farmers are turning to genetic engineering to bring these emissions down, building on the trial attempts in New Zealand. Hertfordshire farmers are selectively breeding sheep to create a low methane flock. The project will help build the future of farming. But the question is, can you actually breed low methane producing sheep? It's thought that the amount of methane a sheep emits could be a heritable trait just like the size or the wilderness of the animal's coat. This means it could potentially be bred out. Agricultural authorities in New Zealand have been breeding low and high emission sheep since 2008. They estimate that the low emission flock now in its third generation emits about 16% less methane. Although the country's agricultural body claims there is no evidence that important production traits such as growth rate, wool production and disease resistance are compromised in this. So you see, well, low methane uh, sheep or something, that, that's going to fix all the problems. Yeah, the, I've got a problem with this, right? When the, the West was won, and the railroad pushed its way across from east to west, or did it go the other way? No, I think it went east to west, didn't it? Vast yes, the rail, herds rail of buffalo were shot to feed the railway workers. And prior to that, those great big beasts were only killed by very brave braves on the back of ponies with stone arrows. So, you know, it was kind of en masse that the buffalo herds were depleted. And these were massive, bigger than any herd of cattle, you know, domesticated cattle uh, that any farmer has got. And right the way across Africa as well, elephants, wildebeest, all these massive herds that have, they have been depleted and instead domesticated cattle and sheep have kind of taken their place. So I don't really believe that the level of emission from farm animals, animals produced for food, is any different than it was probably from about 1800. So those kind of changes, they, they, they ignore that fact that, you know, as, as man develops the land in, in which man lives, it displaces wildlife, but that wildlife also produces methane. And there was a lot more of it. So it's carbon neutral as far as i can see um, yeah and they they never tell you about the uh the wild herds across whatever land they, ne they never tell you about that you know the migration patterns or anything they, they never tell you about any kind of emissions it's always attacking your food supply is what it is well did did we speak about this last time i was on i was watching 
TV on Sunday, not because I want to, but because it was on and certain other people in the room like to watch these kind of programs. The sainted David Attenborough was on uh, on a series he's he's done called the the Wild Isles which is about the British Isles and and our life uh, our wildlife and the life in the sea and so on and it was basically just a guilt trip for being human because it would show overfishing which did happen and still does largely from EU fishermen because the British fishermen have all been put out of business so it's whatever's left of the European fishing fleet that are cleaning out the North Sea. But what it showed was basking sharks. Fantastic creature, massive animal, but it just swims around with its huge mouth open, gobbling up as much krill as it can possibly get. Now, krill uh, is a mixture of things, but one of the things that it mainly is made up from are uh, fish fry, so embryonic fish that have hatched out of their eggs these tiny fish just get swallowed up so one baskin shark probably kills more potential fish than one small fishing trawler for instance but that's never mentioned you know all it is is humans bad humans fishing um and then the next program was uh something called country file which always makes me think of pedophile but maybe that's just me and again lots of talk about british agriculture there was possibly even a piece on low farting sheep i'm not sure and then it was yeah but it's our effect on the environment that has um done this and done that but never any mention of actual wildlife's effect you know, I don't want to go on too much about it, but basically BBC was just putting humans onto a guilt trip last Sunday evening. To add to the um, insanity of this climate change nonsense, we have a roughly 288 parts per million is what the CO2 makes up the atmosphere right now. Uh, or uh, that's what it was. Hang on. Uh, 414 parts per million. Uh, that equates out to being about 0.04% of the atmosphere. Now, they claim methane in this um, is, what, 80 times worse than uh, methane? Uh, or, or, excuse me, um, CO2? They, they claim it's 80 times worse than CO2. Uh, the amount of methane in our atmosphere is roughly um, uh, blah, 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 17 parts per billion. Um, now, that that's... Quite a small number compared to parts per million. So it makes up an even smaller percentage, 0.00017% of the atmosphere in comparison. The reason it's being pushed the way it is, is because the powers that be, that evil cabal of globalists, don't want us to eat healthy natural products. They want us to eat bugs turned into protein bars. They've all been watching too many sci-fi action flicks. That's the problem. They, they, they think we're going to put up with it, and they are very wrong. Um, this is all food-related right now, energy-related, right? So they're hitting us from uh, two different standpoints of our uh, existence, if you will. There's one other thing that isn't mentioned in this climate change nonsense. The biggest greenhouse gas do you know what the biggest, the worst greenhouse gas in existence right now makes up the majority of the greenhouse gases? Do you, do you gentlemen have a guess as to what this 
is it's um, technically well i was gas, but i was gonna say that uh, going by greenhouse gases i was going to say co2 and the reason i say that is because i happen to know the statistic and the research behind the amount of co2 emissions that are created by dying vegetation which if they're pushing for a plant-based future you're going to create more co2 emissions i hate to be the bearer of bad news here but that's not what you're going yeah, to say that's not that's not it if they double down on this um climate change nonsense the next thing to be controlled is water oh yes water, water vapor yeah, makes yeah. up 90 percent of the greenhouse gases 90 percent um it is the biggest uh culprit of trapping heat in our atmosphere so if they're truly about trying to change the climate and all of that the next step is water and controlling it Yes. And what are they saying now at the World Economic Forum? Sorry, uh, water's not a, a right. You don't have a right to access to water, which, Marty, you had brought that up years ago when you were talking about the CEO of Nestle, Mr. Brabick, Peter Brabick, I believe is his, or was his name, when yeah. he said that basically the same thing. No, you don't have a right to any water. Now, we've been looking at what Mr. Gates has been doing across the United States over the last several years. He's been buying up a whole lot of farmland. And we couldn't really make sense of it. Yeah, it makes sense if you if you want to look at it in the aspects of him doing the whole GMO modified crops and his little fungus farms and whatever it is he wants to do. But he's not buying these plots of arable farmland to actually grow anything on them. You notice that nothing's actually growing on any of these plots of land that he's buying. We couldn't figure out what he was trying to do until we overlaid all of that farmland on top of a map of the United States that hold the freshwater aquifers in the country. Why is he buying one acre in New Mexico? Why is he buying five acres in Colorado? Why is he buying 10 acres in, in Oklahoma? We couldn't figure out why. All of those have access to all of the freshwater aquifers that supply drinking water across the United States. That's why he's buying them. It's a scary thought, isn't it, America, that a sociopathic eugenicist is going to be in control of your fresh water. Someone should do something about it. But at the moment, there's there's no one standing against him because he's part of the plan and he is getting away with it at the moment. He's part of something. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but uh, that's another conversation for another day. Behind me here, gentlemen, is the mayor of New York City, Mr. Eric Adams. And he's echoing these calls of what the problem is. He's going to tell you how things are going to be from now on because it's your fault. It's all your fault. One in every five metric tons of carbon dioxide our city emits comes from food. But all food is not created equal. The vast majority of food uh, that is contributed to our emission crisis lies in meat and dairy products. We already know that a plant plant power diet is better for your physical and mental health. And I am living proof of that. But the reality is that thanks to this new inventory, we're finding out it is better for the planet. He's living proof that it is better for your physical and mental health. Bruce, you've gone over this time and again. What the lack of dairy and meat products, not imitation, not mm. not almond or mm. oat milk or, or wheat milk or whatever, cashew milk or whatever, not like chicken, not like beef or any soy substitute, 
when you don't have these essential nutrients and these trace minerals in these essential parts of a human diet, which I would argue you don't technically need dairy, you don't technically need that, but it does enhance certain aspects of your physiological makeup. But this, uh, I, I don't I don't believe this for a second, nor does he, I might add, because if you can tell, he's reading from a script and he's not doing a very good job at it either. Well, well if you if you look at the guy, he's clearly a gym bunny, isn't he? That suit was was kind of painted on. He's got massive shoulders. If he's a vegan, uh, my not. kipper. He's he's pescatarian. He's not a vegan. In other words, well, for then. the listener, so, he's, he eats fish. Well, uh, it was catching fish in sufficient quantity that allowed our you know our, our ancestors to develop the brain that we now have. All of those nutrients that you get from fish really do help the brain develop, and they are animal proteins, whichever way you want to look at it. So, no, he's he's not a vegan, and, and I bet he's banged himself full of steroids to get that kind of physique as well. So, you know, he, he might be adverse to a bit of steak, but he certainly doesn't mind putting bull testosterone and other hormones into his body to develop his his um his buff physique. Yeah. Um and to that, you you also have people that are now there's a lot of choices out there for vegan, but uh when the government comes in and says, Well, you're gonna be vegan, um, there's a lot of people that have intolerances to some of the vegan foods. Now, obviously there's a lot of choices out there, but the government coming in and saying you can no longer eat this. You have to eat this. No, I take the same stance as I take with medical care. That is my choice. That is up to me to decide, not you. Uh, and in fact, the Constitution doesn't give you any of that power or authority, uh, even at the state level, to dictate what I can and can't do. Um, so uh, when it comes to uh, food and um, medical care. Uh, now, it does give you the power to say, um, like, you can't steal or murder, you know, those kind of things. That That's obviously yeah, sure. I mean, in their power. Stand by on the bleep button, Johnny, but in the words of that great orator and philosopher, Billy Colony, f*** off, f*** all the way off, and when you get there, f*** off some more. You don't get to tell me what I eat. I'll go out and catch it myself. If it's not in the shops, I'll go and rustle some cattle from somewhere. Your research farms where you're trying to make a, I don't know, a, a sheep that, that doesn't burp. I'll, I'll go and steal some of those. You can, no, sorry, you're right, Bruce. Governments do not get to tell you what to eat under no circumstances. If someone wants to be a vegetarian or a vegan, well, jolly good luck to you. Hopefully you don't do CrossFit as well because you'll be constantly confused as to what to tell someone about first. But yeah, you can crack on. Have your, your meat-free diet, have your dairy-free diet, but don't expect the rest of us to play your silly game. It's the same with this gender politics bullshit as well. If you want to call yourself a toaster, by all means be a toaster, but don't expect me to call you a toaster unless I can stick four slices of bread in you and get some nice toast out at the end of it. A toaster? Really? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure. Well, I could have said anything, but the ridiculousness yeah, of, of the whole a, gender politics it, thing. It is. a it, yeah. Well, it, Facebook has 97 genders, I think. And I think Toaster is one of them. Well, he's yeah. not far off. There's actually a video out there on TikTok of 
someone saying they are a candle. A candle. Yeah. Right. Candle. Okay. Well, well I, I have something on things. Yeah, I have something on TikTok and as it relates to this conversation and we'll get to that in just a second. But I have to address what you said first, Marty, about how they can go and I'm not going to use the bleep button but for myself, but they can all go and and do one, right? I'll I'll use a, a British term, right? You can go and do one. Okay, that's fine. And I agree, the government shouldn't be telling you what to eat. I think that's just abhorrent. Here to explain is, well, it's a central banker. They're going to tell you what to eat because, you see, they're, they care about the climate, too. Today's pressing global challenges like climate change, pandemics, and fragility and conflict. As we set the terms of our economic engagement with China, we will also pursue our third objective, cooperation on major global challenges. It's important that we make progress on global issues regardless of our other disagreements. That is what the world needs from its two largest economies. As a foundation, we must continue to develop steady lines of communication between our countries for macroeconomic and financial cooperation. Economic developments in the United States and China can quickly ripple through the global financial markets and broader economy. We must maintain a robust exchange of views about how we're responding to economic... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't take any when more did, of that. Um, no, yeah, well, when did Betty White from the Golden Girls become <laughs> a global banker? <laughs> what, why? Uh, I'll tell you what this is. This is a message being delivered by the most innocuous, unthreatening face of financial institutes. This is someone's grandmother. What the flying flip is she still doing working at her age? She's got to be 75 if she's a day and move on, you know, get out, uh, retire, go away, let someone younger, more thrusting into your job. No, the reason she's been kept on is so she can deliver this kind of message about macro financial, uh, which basically means global counterfeiting in a way that people trust it because it's their grandmother telling it. Yeah, no, she can f*** off and all. Just to kind of reiterate, what we led with tonight, what we were talking about, everything that that woman just said, everything that that Critton just said was part of what we're researching. Everything that she said, all of the the buzzwords that she said in there about maintaining uh, cooperation between China and the US, and what she really meant was the communist bloc countries. That's what she meant. Having access to technology, sharing information, that's a very big mistake. But people like her, why is she still in that job? Because people like her, her specifically, she's essential to what all of this is about. That's why she's still in there, because she's trustable and she's reliable from their standpoint, not ours. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got things that are frothing around in my head that I want to say about it, but who was it who decided to start shutting down American, British and European manufacturing? Because all of the manufacturing is now in China and, and those countries. So if you want any new technology, you have to buy your chips from them. You have to buy your integrated circuits from them, all of which are containing, no doubt, backdoors that let somebody in Beijing know exactly what's happening to that piece of kit at any given time. And that's the issue. 
bollocks to macro financial cooperation between Soviet bloc countries and the rest of the sensible world. Anyone who's still living in a communist country under the conditions that most people in communist countries live in, you should be you should be at the doors banging them down. Uh, Mudgy, you probably haven't got the energy because you've just worked an 18-hour day on half a bowl of rice and, and maybe a chicken foot or something like that, or, or an uncooked bat. Why are these people still living? Thanks for laughing, Johnny. But oh, why sorry. are these people still living under this kind of oppression? Because it's ruled I by terror. It. It's, it's ruled. It's Yeah, but you're looking at it in terms of, uh, of a Westerner, right? You're, you're I'm, looking at I'm it. looking at it in terms of me. And if I'm scared of something, I go and fight it. Yes, Simple yes, as that. I I agree, and and we we think is one. Believe me, we always have on that on that ideological front, have we not? Yeah, we have, mate. And it's been how many years now? It's 14? been a very long time. It's yeah, it's been almost fifteen years. And and actually, it's been that was about the time. Uh, it was right around that time that I actually started studying the international communist movement. Uh, it was right around that time, and it has it has led me to where we are now. I tell you what, yeah, you, if if anyone would have would, would accept your thesis, you could probably get a PhD on it by now. No, I couldn't because I'm not a Marxist. <laughs> so it wouldn't work. No, Bruce, you mentioned TikTok, and speaking of back doors, the biggest back door that the Chinese Communist Party has is TikTok, and also WeChat. I think is another one, but it's not quite as prominent. Uh, TikTok is going to censor content that challenges global warming. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that that would happen? So I guess along with the candle uh, that identifies on TikTok, you will now have to be censored if you're talking against global warming, which the communist bloc countries gave us, by the way, to shut us down. Like I said in prep, well, they're not going to turn their nukes off. They're not going to shut their coal-fired plants down. They're not mm -hmm. going to ban electric cars. They're not going to ban gas stoves. They're not going to stop their people from eating meat if they can actually get it. They're not going to stop their people from drinking milk if they can actually get it or eating chicken eggs or goose eggs or whatever, which are actually good, by the way, uh, or ostrich eggs or whatever, which are equally as good. But they're not going to do that. They're going to ensure through their infiltration networks here in, in our governments that we do all of that because coexistence and, and uh, what did she say? Uh, sharing of, of technology and information, coexistence, uh, coexistence yeah. and cooperation with these communist bloc countries. Do you know what that means? That means capitulation on our side and they don't change. That's what that means. We capitulate well, to them. I'll, I'll give a very simple example that, that that's just rung home to me here is, have you ever tried to teach someone how to play a board game, a strategy game that you love playing and are really good at? But whenever you try and teach someone about it and you say, well, I'm moving here because that means that this happens and that happens and so on, you never win the game again because you've shared the information. You've shown your opponent exactly what you're going to do. And until, you know, we get rid of these psychos that we keep getting put into either dictatorships or electing psychos, we're not going to be in a position where we haven't got an opponent. We are always going to have a threat. You know, good fences make for good neighbours. So you have to defend yourself. You have to put those fences up. America tried isolationism and did quite well out of it for a while. Japan tried the same thing as well. Every now and again, nations have to withdraw inside themselves because the rest of the world is messing them about and taking advantage. And that's what's happening to us at the moment.
to the UK, countries in Europe and the US. We are being messed with. I'd like to add that uh, you neglected to mention your own country about being isolationist, well, to an extent. When I say isolationist, we maybe I should be a little... To. We got told to be well, isolationist by the UN. The UN made well, no, us that's, be that's, isolationist. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I meant, though. What I meant, though, is that maybe I should have put it in a little bit different context. You were isolationist as the fact that before the tunnel, that you guys were obviously, and you still are, on an island, and that allowed you to turn all of your attention inward and build yourself up. And as a result, you were able to maintain the British Empire, of course, after the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588. And you were able to maintain that empire for quite a good number of years until until we came along and we, we kind of shut that down. <laughs> you say we, don't forget, those are Englishmen that were rebelling against uh, okay, their own fair, monarchy. Fair, fair, no argument, no argument. But, you know, look, talking about the British Empire, which is now very, very small, but we have a large commonwealth. All of the countries that were formerly under colonial rule from the United Kingdom, I would say at least 90% of them are now functioning democracies. And of course, that has become a bit of a bad word because at the end of the day, a democracy can be described as two wolves and a sheep deciding which one farts the most. No, deciding what to have for dinner. So, you know, these countries that were part of the British Empire are now functioning democracies. India, Kenya, huge countries that have been part of the British Empire are now functioning independent democracies and they're still part of that Commonwealth. And the fact that they want to remain part of that Commonwealth should tell the rest of the world something about what happens or what used to happen when you got taken over by Britain. Going back to the uh, the TikTok thing, the changes will go into effect today actually. So Marty, I'm I'm sorry, you're going to have to you're going to have to close up shop on your TikTok account. You you're not going to be able to I have don't that. have a TikTok account, no. but they do find their way into uh, the little videos that come up on Facebook. And I watched one today and this guy, no offense to our LBG uh listeners, the guy was as camp as a row of pink tents. Right. Uh, and uh, he's pouring a, a glass of, of milkshake out and he's saying it's OK because it's it's eco friendly because it's strawberry milk, not cow milk. Of course, it was cow milk, but because it tasted of strawberries, this idiot thought that it, it was some sort of vegan option. And that's what we've got to contend with. That's where our young people have reached the the depths of idiocy, poor education, a total lack of understanding. And who's to blame? Well, we're going to come to that when you finish your research, aren't we? It's yeah, all we there are. inside of that. It is. It is all there. I would like to, uh, to change gears here a little bit, uh, and let's talk about uh, what's going on uh, in the Middle East a little bit. Sudan, Marty, have you been there? I, I didn't ask you that. Have, have you actually been there? I've never asked you that. I know you know people no, from I've, there. I've, some of the guys I worked with out in the UAE, my, our translators were Sudanese, and some of the instructors were from the Sudanese Navy. And I've got to say, at least a couple of them were really, really good guys. And all of them were anti the, the split into North and South Sudan. Didn't want it to happen. Some of them lost property. You know, because when you look at a country like Sudan, in which most people are fairly poor, if you manage to get a job in the UAE 
and are earning perhaps three times what you'd be earning in your own country, you get a lot of money that you can take back to that country and invest. And and that's what a lot of them were doing. They were buying beautiful villas, massive houses, farmland, and some of them have lost that due to this split. And, you know, it's it's on fire again, isn't it? I, I think that was the term you used. And yeah. it, it's, it's, it's flared up again. But you know, what's the United Nations doing about it? Sudan is a member of the UN. Right now, and, uh, uh, they're not doing anything. And I, I think the reason for that is because, uh, obviously, China, the heavy presence, heavy Chinese Communist Party presence in there, because they own a, a almost a majority stake in the Nile Petrol Company, uh, uh, Nile Petroleum Company, excuse me. And, of course, that operates the refineries and the pipeline that runs all the way to the port of Sudan, uh, basically across the entire country, all the way to the port of Sudan and into the Red Sea, where they have a controlling stake in the port and access for part of their Belt and Road Initiative. So they or uh, other people uh, behind the scenes are causing this little ruckus in there. Uh, and I uh, honestly, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's if it's a proxy from one side or the other. I know that the Saudis and the UAE have been supplying the military with a lot of their armaments over the years uh, in Sudan. And so I, I don't know if there's some of that involved, especially with the new deal that they now have with the Chinese and the Russians. Let, let, let's put it. Let's put it this way. Okay. You just said that Saudi and the UAE were providing Sudan with armaments and munitions yep. and so yep. on. The only thing that the United Arab Emirates produces in terms of weaponry is a pistol called the Caracal, which is a clone of the, I think it's the SIG. So anything that they're providing to Sudan, which we can't provide them with, as as in the US or the UK, is being bought from the US or the UK by Saudi and by the UAE, and then shipped across, totally circumventing the whole ITAR um, restrictions. So ITAR is very serious. If if someone in the UK makes a mistake and shares something that with, with another country that they shouldn't share, it's orange jumpsuit Guantanamo Bay time. So it's just a way of getting the the guns into the people's hands and then once they've got them there's kind of this urge to use them isn't there just a so, little bit yeah just a little bit i mean I'm, I'm a lifelong military man and i firmly stand by any nation's right to defend itself including defending itself against its own government which of course is a very constitutional thing to say um, as in the american constitution but somewhere along the lines all you've got to do is follow the paper trail and you'll see exactly what's going on. And this is just another excuse for China, having put all that inf um, investment into infrastructure within the country, to put troops in there themselves. And if you're going to do that, well, then you have to force the American troops that are in the region out, don't you? That's what you have to do. Bruce, now, you know how much of a success it was getting our troops out of Afghanistan, right? You know how much of a success that was. And who can forget the iconic photos of what it was like evacuating our embassies in in Vietnam back during the uh, the Vietnam War. 
who can forget those iconic photos? You know, the, the lift off of the, the choppers from the, the top of the uh, uh, the embassy there, just like it was in Afghanistan. Now, there's no way that the U.S. government would botch or the Biden administration, I guess. There's no way that they would botch any kind of evacuation of embassy staff, is there? No, no, of course not. It was a resounding success, the Afghanistan pullout. As the Biden administration has said multiple times over, it was a resounding success. No, no mishandlings or wrongdoings no. or, you know, no, no, no none at all. Uh, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby says that, um, well, they might have to just as a precaution, they might have to look at doing possibly the same thing in Sudan. And U.S. troops there to update us on the status of the embassy and trying to get U.S. officials out of the embassy. Yeah, so uh, obviously we're still very concerned about the the violence there, the continued fighting. There was a so-called ceasefire last night that didn't didn't hold very long, and so uh, people are still being hurt. Um, and uh, what I can tell you is that we have good accountability of all our government personnel there working in uh, and out of the embassy. Uh, they are all not still co-located, uh, so the State Department is still the embassy there, is still trying to get them all co-located together for their own safety. They are still sheltering in place where they are. Um, and as you probably saw, the Pentagon did announce that they are moving forward to pre-position some military forces and capabilities nearby just for contingency purposes in case uh, they would be needed for any kind of uh, evacuation. But again, no decision has been made on that. The focus right now is on urging both sides to stop this violence, to abide by a ceasefire, to allow humanitarian aid to get to people that are uh, that are that need it. I mean, there's already shortage of food. There's I'm just curious, Marty, you don't look impressed. Would you buy a used car from, from uh, John Kirby here? Can't remember his last name, but it looks like Steve. The actor's first name is Steve out of the American version of The Office has, has gone, gone into makeup for oh, about Steve four hours to look much older. Steve Carell, that's it. Um, no, I, I would not buy a damn thing off that guy. He is lying through his arse. You can see it. But again, if, if you're going to do a, a military operation, um, and we were talking about this in prep, you do it quick, fast, and with as little damage as possible. And you don't want to be telling everybody what you're about to do or why. Because the next thing is... China are upset that American troops are close to its infrastructure facilities in Sudan. And therefore, they've responded by sending 15 battalions to protect their interests. And before you know where you are, it, it's like, you know, you were talking about snooker. You know, you've, you used to be able to get these tiny little snooker tables and you'd have one in your living room. You'd get it for Christmas and you'd play mini snooker. But there's nothing like playing on a full-size snooker table. It's an absolute pleasure. So that's what they want to do. Sudan's a nice big country in which you could have a fantastic proxy war, plenty of room for manoeuvre, and you could even get your tanks going at each other, which you couldn't do in Afghanistan because it's not really tank country. So, yeah, either get your people out or, or fix the problem, but fix it en masse. The United Nations is supposed to be the world's peacekeeper. It has done nothing for world peace or for suffering since its existence. All it's done is turn up, put people in light blue berries who've stood around and watched the carnage go on. And having been one of those people in a light blue beret, I've got no respect for the United Nations whatsoever. 
I liked the, uh, we're keeping good track of our staff, but at the same time, we don't know where all our staff are. <laughs> you like that? Uh, yeah, that was, that was a great line. Uh, but Bruce, yeah. they're, they're, yeah, co they're co, what do you say? Co, co coexisting, co something uh, with yeah, each other. Collating, I think is what yeah, he said. Whatever. But, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. Did he say Kool-Aiding? Just drink the Kool-Aid. Just That's drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Just shut up and drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, in other news in the uh, in the region, apparently Iran has forced an American nuclear submarine to the surface. Are they able to do such thing? Well, they've got kilo submarines, which of course possibly could do. If the Iranian Navy surface vessels are operating in the northern Gulf or in the Straits of Hormuz, that's very shallow water. Not the best place in the world for a submarine. Submarines stay hidden by using deep water. The gulf is very shallow. It's not a great place for submarines. If there was a submarine out there, it probably wasn't a bomber. It was probably a hunter killer and it probably surfaced just to say hi. Hello. <laughs> We're here. The Americans are here. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah. Apparently it was the USS Florida uh, and they found it with sonar and it was in the Strait of Hormuz. And that's where they uh, they found it. Uh, and they say that um, they kept continually pinging it with uh, with sonar and they forced it to the surface. I don't think that the Americans would have been forced to the surface if they didn't want to be. They would have just tucked tail and ran out of there. But yeah, yeah, they they, they would those, have gone those for things, deeper water. I mean, yeah, those things don't come up. They don't come up. Mm -hmm. well, they, they don't yeah. need to. The joke of it is from the Straits of Hormuz, I imagine out just outside it, in fact, or even in the Mediterranean, cruise missiles from those kind of ships can hit targets well with inside Iran. They don't need to surface. They don't need to get that close. So it was probably just there to say hi. And that's what this was The for the listener. Uh, this is an Ohio class cruise missile sub. So for the listener. Now, on to um, since we're talking about this kind of strategy, I, I want to talk a little bit about what we were discussing in prep about this movement of uh, tactical nuclear missiles from Russia into Belarus. Now, uh, somebody within the Russian government circles has been telling his sources. I'm not one of them, by the way. Has been telling his sources that this I have is in the past. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not me. They have been telling their sources that this is a calculated move by Putin and the Russian military because they're planning, and that not saying this is going to happen. God, I hope this doesn't happen. But this is what's being said, and it deserves, at the very least, I think it deserves conversation. At the very least, uh, at least just a few minutes of commentary this line of thinking, because this obviously is not being talked about anywhere and you're not going to hear anything like this. The only thing you hear about nuclear war from these these uh, war drum beaters in the mainstream media is uh, everybody's going to be vaporized in a cloud of uh, radioactive slag, and that's going to be the end of the world, which is complete nonsense. But Putin moving those tactical nuclear weapons into Belarus, this individual is saying that it is possible that Putin is going to stage an attack on Poland or Lithuania from Belarus saying that the attackers are Ukrainians that have commandeered those nuclear weapons and have well, set up. Yeah, go, go on, please. Okay. As I explained in, in prep, I'm not scared about this for all of the wrong reasons. Traditional warfare has always been about brinksmanship you know, border disputes. If you've got a beef with another country, I hate to use that word, but it, it kind of it kind of makes sense to use it at the moment. Then you'll you'll 
do a show of strength and you'll make them think twice about their actions. So with this brinksmanship going on, the governments of the West and the NATO countries have to have an excuse to back down and so that they don't blow their cover with their people. All of our governments are fully infiltrated by globalist puppets. And whatever's happening, the decision on who's going to do what and grab which piece of land has already been made. But what they have to do is make it convincing to their, their populaces that they had no choice. So I don't think any tactical nukes are going to be used. They're a really silly idea anyway. They are an absolute... I mean... They were developed to stop massive tank formations crossing the Rhine and heading to the west or, in in return, ours heading east. That's what the tactical nuclear weapon is all about. It denies um, the approach of big armoured formations into, into countries, you know, across borders. And I don't think they're going to be used because the decision on what is going to happen in the Ukraine has already been made. But until all of our coffers have been emptied in that direction and huge tax bills have been created for US taxpayers, UK taxpayers, German taxpayers, none of this is actually going to stop. Once they've bled us completely dry and we are then in hock, I, I can't remember how much we bo- we borrowed for bloody COVID, something like $450 billion the country borrowed the UK. No, it was more than that. No, it was more than that. You guys were you guys were pushing a trillion or more. Uh, and this that's that's not including the. Uh, that was the number quoted. That was a number quoted by one of the um, conservative politicians just the other day. But, but maybe you're right. I don't I don't know. Well, the U.S. But, alone, um, the U.S. alone threw 13 trillion at that problem. Just to give you an idea. Yeah. So I would imagine you guys threw. Not not that much at it, but uh, a goodly percentage of of cash at that problem as well. That was obviously yeah, so. we're not talking about we're not talking about reported as in here uh, we're going to pass this uh, piece of legislation and we're going to saddle the taxpayer with this. No, they do a majority of these big spending things behind the scenes that we never get to see. But that that's that's essentially what what's what's happening. So yeah, they they have to to play this game of brinksmanship at least on the surface so that there is uh, a viable reason for the backdown that the West is going to do over what is happening in Ukraine. And to your point, and again, goes to our research, that backdown has already been planned. Yeah. And without knowing the full extent of your research, I think you're probably right. Mm -hmm. And in this case, my friend, I, I, um, I wish that I was wrong. In this case, but I well, don't see how I could possibly be. I said about three years ago that um, I told you so is is kind of an empty sort of reward for being right in the first place. And nearly everything that we've talked about and, you know, they were espoused as conspiracy theories are now facts. We were right and we did tell you so, but it gives me no pleasure to say that to say we told you so and like in this particular case with you being right 
if it transpires that you are right, and I think you are, there is no pleasure in it because it's, a hollow it, victory. it's just every, yeah, it's very hollow. Everything that people are working for, normal everyday people, everything that they're working for is just being stolen by this massive debt that our countries are building up. The UK was nearly out of debt, probably about 14 years ago, we were getting to the point where our national debt had been so reduced, but that has gone through the roof again. Uh, and the only way these global organizations get rich is through debt. I have another curveball to my research, but I haven't gotten to it yet. I haven't told you about it yet, but we'll discuss that at another time uh, because this one's going to take me longer than just the two weeks. I'm just doing the two weeks here and we're just doing the two weeks here to get the initial foot in the door to say that, okay, this is the path we're now going to take because this is this is what's actually going on. But there's more to this and that will come later, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it now. We're out of time, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here today. We will see you again next week. Again, we're still on, uh, we're still out next week, but we're doing the one day a week because we don't want to take that away from you, Marty. And, and we like to get your considered and informed opinion that we're all welcome to. So it's been a uh, indeed, been an absolute indeed pleasure. you are welcome to. Yes. Do you have any final words? Uh, no, because they're all swear words. Fair enough. We'll see you next week, my friend. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Wednesday and Friday of next week.